Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver. And if you're listening, then you know that this show is all about science fiction movies and horror movies and gems in the rough and blah, 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 all that good stuff. And today I'm going to be talking about, uh, i got a stack of movies here that I'm just wanting to hit on real quick. Uh, this is going to be about uh, sea-bound horror. So uh, not necessarily all at sea, but revolving around the ocean. Uh, be it you know, stuck on an island maybe, or stuck underwater, or something like that. So... I'm looking forward to talking about a couple of these because there's some real gems in the rough here. And uh, and there's also a couple that are... Eh. Uh, so I'm going to start with... Uh, I'm going to start on a positive note. I'm going to start with one of my favorite Seabound horror movies. And this this is a mashup of science fiction and horror and uh, action. There's a lot of action in this movie. And it is Stephen Summers' 1988 Deep Rising watched this movie numerous times. Uh, I actually saw this one in the theater when it was released uh, on opening weekend. I remember loving it back then, and I still love it. Uh, it the movie holds up surprisingly well for, I mean, 1998. CGI wasn't, uh, obviously wasn't as mainstream as it is now. I mean, movies were utilizing that quite a bit, but not to where we are now. And there was uh, there was a lot of CGI in this movie. However, it did work, uh, especially the creature in this movie. And I've got uh, a two-pack here of Deep Rising and the Puppet Masters. And this is not the Puppet Masters from Blue Moon, or from Full Moon. This is the Puppet Masters uh, that came out uh, mid-90s, but I'm not focusing on that. So it is a good movie, though, I must say. Deep Rising, uh, starring... Uh, Treat Williams and uh, Famke Jansen and uh, Kevin O'Connor. Wes Studi is in this. Um, buckle up for edge of your seat excitement with the explosive hit Deep Rising, an unstoppable high seas action thriller that moves at full scream ahead. When a band of ruthless hijackers invade the world's most luxurious cruise ship, they're shocked to discover the passengers have mysteriously vanished. But that doesn't mean they are alone. Something terrifying is lurking just out of sight. A deadly force with the unexplored from the unexplored depths of the ocean that brings that begins to snatch the horrified intruders one by one. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, set on a big cruise ship, and there is a lot of action going on, uh, and it's a big budget movie. Uh, surprise! Uh, the movie the movie's budget was forty five million dollars, and that's forty five million dollars for a fairly heavy R rated uh, action sci fi horror movie starring no one overly famous. And so they just don't do that type of thing anymore, it seems. But back in the nineties, they did, and it worked. It worked extremely well. I thought this was one that definitely definitely benefited from the fact that it was a little bit more hard edged. Uh, the hijackers that take over this ocean, this luxury ocean liner, um, you know, they're they're badasses, and they they truly seem like that instead of uh, you know 
I don't want to say fake, but just PG-13ized, if you could, if that makes sense. Uh, so, um, a couple notes on the movie. Uh, Harrison Ford turned down the the role as uh, Finnegan, and Finnegan would be uh, that would be uh, Treat Williams' character. Uh, the production's budget was then downsized, so the budget was actually supposed to be even bigger than it was. Um, but honestly, I mean, Harrison Ford would have been fine, but I think Treat Williams uh, was great. He actually reminds me a little bit of Nathan Fillon and how Nathan Fillon kind of acts. Uh, that style is kind of how Treat Williams is in this movie. Uh, so... Uh, a couple other notes here. One of the few films that has no heroes or... Uh, there's really no hero. Uh, Finnegan and his crew are hired for villainous reasons, and the main bad guy, he's a thief, or, you know, they're all thieves, and mercenaries that are in the movie, they're they're simply mercenaries. So that is very true, is that everyone in the movie is out kind of for their own... for their, their own betterment, and uh, it's... It's kind of funny. So, a um, couple of the notes here. Uh, Famke Jansen's character, Trillian, is named after the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy character of the same name. Although here, uh, Trillian is her actual name. In Hitchhiker's, it's short for Trisha McMillan. So, that's kind of an interesting little thing. Um, uh, a couple other notes here, just to, to go over. Uh, Stephen Summers had wanted... He had began writing the script, and then it was at the time called Tentacle, uh, when he worked at Hollywood Pictures in the mid-90s. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty much cut-and-dry type of type of movie here. There's nothing extremely out of the ordinary that happened behind the scenes or anything like that. It's just a fun movie. It's a really fun B-movie. And Stephen Summers goes from making really good, fun B-movies to not-so-much fun B-movies. Uh, and this one here actually might be my favorite one that he did. Um, but he's done he's done enough, uh, enough movies that I would say that I, I would... Generally, I like what he does. Uh, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra was good. He did Van Helsing, which was okay. Uh, upon repeat viewings, I've, I've come to kind of enjoy that movie. And then The Mummy, Mummy Returns. Um, he did Odd Thomas, and honestly, I, I went in kind of enjoying that movie. It was on Netflix, and then by about the midway point towards the end, I'm like, okay, this, is, this feels direct to Netflix type. So obviously the budget on that movie was significantly less than what he's probably used to working with. Uh, but anyway... Um, Good movie. I, I, it's it. All the comedy in the movie works very well, uh, and then you know it worked followed by a lot of cool action scenes, and then a little bit of gross goriness, and works really good. And Kevin O'Connor is the is the comedy relief in this movie, and he was really funny in this. And it's cool that he was one of the main stars. Of um, I'm looking here on IMDb. Uh, he was one of the main stars of Lord of Illusions, uh, Clive Barker's movie from 1995, and he was really, really good in that. Uh, so, but he's been in a bunch of stuff, and he was really funny in The Mummy. Uh, so he's I, I like him. I think he's a he's a good actor, and uh, and this was one of my favorite roles with him, just because his 
his humor in this worked very, very well. So uh, anyway, okay, next up, I'm going to talk about um, a movie from 1989, and it's one that I... Uh, <laughs> Being as I'm going back and forth from really good to really not so good, I'm going to hit on a uh, not so good, although I've watched it numerous times for some reason, and that is 1989's uh, Deep Star Six, directed by Sean S. Cunningham. And Sean S. Cunningham, of course, directed Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th, amongst other, uh, he's got some other movies that he's that he's done as well, but obviously his most recognized movie is Friday the 13th. So, But he also made this movie here from 1989. This is the year that uh, The Abyss came out and Leviathan came out, and this was kind of the the, the lowest on the rung of the uh, underwater movies. So is it bad? No, it's not bad, uh, but it's not great. Uh, Greg uh, Evigan stars in it, Nancy Everhard, uh, some other... B-list actors, none of which I really recognize that well. Uh, uh, Miguel Ferrer is in this, and he was in uh, RoboCop, and man, he was actually in Iron Man Three. There you go. He's been in, he's been in a lot of stuff. But uh, anyway, Deep Star Six. Uh, let me just read the synopsis here of this movie for you. Uh, plot summary. So this movie here is. It's pretty cut and dry, this one here, as far as the story. A crew of an experimental underwater nuclear base are forced to struggle for their lives when their uh, explorations disturb a creature who threatens to destroy their base. And that's about as simple as the movie is. Um, the uh, The creature itself looks like a gigantic rubber crab, Luckily, they use the crabs sparingly in this movie, uh, but this literally is a people trapped underwater on uh, some in some contraption, and a creature is picking them off one by one. Nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing that uh, that that sets itself apart from other low budget stuff. Although somehow it is watchable. I've watched it numerous times, and each time it's done, I'm like, eh, that was okay, I guess. It wasn't bad. And, but then a couple of years later, I'm like, eh, I should probably watch that again, I guess. Uh, budget was $8 million, which I haven't seen an HD print of this, and sometimes that's all it takes for a movie to feel uh, much more cinematic, and the budget shows when you, when you have uh, a higher quality picture on display i've just i've grown up watching this on vhs and then dvd and the dvd is not much better than the vhs so especially movies like this that are filmed underwater now granted there you can just tell that miniatures were used for about everything it seems but it's something about the murkiness of underwater and then you know watching it on dvd it's just you're like what i can barely make out what's going on in this thing so um the creature itself isn't that bad. Now this is before this is before CGI, so pretty much you're stuck with the big, the big uh, rubber crab thing. But it's not bad. It's comical. It, it moves at a pretty good clip, I guess, for what it is. It, it's not gonna. It never has, nor will it ever win any awards. It's just kind of there. Um, but it's one of those that. 
I just can't help not watching it's every now and then. So it still gets a pass from me, but a very meager pass. Uh, now back to awesome. And that would be the same year, 1989, Leviathan. Uh, Leviathan is great. And for some reason, I have this feeling that I go through so many, I do so many of these shows, I forget what I've talked about and what I haven't. So uh, if I've talked about Leviathan already, then sorry, but here we go again. It's a good movie and it should be seen. Uh, Directed by uh, George P. uh, Cosmatos, and he has done some good stuff. Um, He has done, uh, let's pull out his directing... um, of Unknown Origin, which is a horror movie, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Cobra, which was awesome, Leviathan, and of course Tombstone. And there's all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff with Tombstone, with him, and uh, Kurt Russell. So, however, we're not talking about that, we're talking about Leviathan. Okay, so back of the Blu-ray. This is a Scream Factory release, by the way, so you can be assured that there's great special features and the transfer is very, very good. On the dark and forbiding ocean floor, the crew of a deep-sea missing rig discovers a sunken freighter that harbors a deadly secret. A genetic experiment gone horribly wrong, with a storm raging on the surface and no hope for rescue, the captain and his team are propelled into a spine-tingling battle for survival against the ultimate foe, a hideous monster that cannot die and lives to kill. Uh, Starring Peter Weller of Robocop, Amanda Pays of Max Hedrum, uh, Richard Krina of First Blood, Daniel Stern, which he was in Home Alone, and Ernie Hudson, Ghostbusters. Um, Leviathan features a solid script by veteran screenwriters David Peoples of Blade Runner and Jeb Stewart, Die Hard and Fugitive, and the amazing creature effects by the one and only Stan Winston. And that's what I really wanted to hit on is the effects in this movie, especially watching this movie on Blu-ray. Uh, all of the cool effects are now visible versus, yet again, crappy DVD and VHS releases. Now we can actually see what's going on. We can see that there is a budget to this thing, and it's it's a, it's a pretty good. Although the special features do hit on the fact that uh, this was a lower-budget movie, but the, the special features on this are great when they go into the creature effects and just the conditions that they shot in. It was very, very interesting. I, I recall when I watched this, that I'm like, man, this is this is fascinating how this movie was made. The budget of this was about double that of uh, Deep Rising, or I'm sorry, Deep Rising, uh, Deep Star Six. So the budget was about fifteen to seventeen, between fifteen and seventeen million dollars. Um, Peter Weller is Peter Weller is just cool regardless, but he's really cool in this, uh, and Richard Crina is too. Uh, they're all really. Really good. The the cast I really liked in this movie. Uh, Meg Foster's in this. Ernie Hudson's in this. Um, it just it, everything about what was meh on uh, Deep Star Six works in this, and it's essentially it's the same thing. It's uh, people stuck underwater on a enclosed thing, some something or other, and there is a creature out to get them. And now this creature is a bit more. Um, in Deep Star 6, it's more of a, here's the creature and it's killing people off. In this one here, it's almost more like a parasite infection type thing that's spreading. But there, there is a creature in the movie, and it's a cool creature. They, you can tell that it's, you can tell it's uh, practical effects because it's used sparingly. But uh, a lot of times in situations like this, it works 
it works better than showing too much of the creature. Now, in Deep Star 6, they almost didn't show the creature at all, probably because uh, probably because of the very, very low budget of it. So, um, Anyway, uh, there, there's a bunch of notes on the movie, but I, honestly, if, if you're going to watch this movie, pick up the Scream Factory Blu-ray and watch the special features because they really go into uh, some, some good behind-the-scenes anecdotes about the special effects and all that good stuff. Uh, so, uh, in designing the creature for the film, Stan Winston and the director went through a mini library of marine life pictures and medical reference books. They were inspired by the uh, by the underwater, just the, the natural world, and came up with an idea of combining human body parts and elements of deep sea marine life uh, in an unnatural creature never seen on film before. And that is the truth. It's very, very unique. A lot uh, back then, it seemed like. Uh, every other alien type movie or monster movie had the somewhat similar look of Ridley Scott's Alien, and this one here does not. It's just this weird, big, goofy sea creature looking type thing. Uh, but I liked it. I thought it worked very well. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, a, a bunch of other notes here. Fifty to sixty sixty spec drawings of the potential look of the creature were submitted to director uh, George. Cosmatos. All the drawings were combined for the final definitive look for Leviathan, which was a huge fish-headed beast with dagger-like teeth with the ability to absorb recognizable characteristics from its victims. So it, there's a little bit of John Carpenter's The Thing going on in this movie. Um, I, I would actually compare this to The Thing as what it's closest in spirit to. Um but this is one that I watched actually with my wife, and even she enjoyed the movie. And this was, you know, it had its gruesome moments, but for an 80s action movie, it's heavy on the action and suspense. And uh, this is one that I would feel very comfortable rec- recommending to anybody that likes the Alien series, even though, you know, we got Ridley Scott and James Cameron and uh, David Fincher making, you know, these are these are big budget movies. So Leviathan isn't quite on that level, but if you enjoyed that type of thing, I cannot imagine you're not going to enjoy Leviathan. I really, really liked this movie, especially watching it in high definition. It, it really uh, helps the movie with the visuals and the, and the sound and all that. So highly recommend Leviathan. Big thumbs up. Okay, next up is... Um, here we go. I've, I haven't... I haven't hit on this one yet, and I'm looking forward to just briefly touching on this one, and that would be Joe Dante's Piranha. And Piranha, um, I've been watching this movie for, oh boy, for so long, uh, and it it continues to hold up time and time again, uh, even though it's cheesy and dated. This is from 1978, directed by Joe Dante, and if, if you know who Joe Dante is, he's made a ton of great stuff. Um, he's one of his, one of his first movies was Piranha, but he's made The Howling, Gremlins, Explorers, Inner Space, some great episodes of Amazing Stories. Um, he did The Burbs, which I loved. The Burbs, uh, Matinee, Small Soldiers was in the. And I haven't seen a whole lot of his newer stuff. I did watch The Hole from 2009, which is more of a teen horror light type movie. But it was enjoyable for, for what it was. Um, so he's done a lot of good stuff. But Piranha is one of his most ambitious, I thought. 
Uh, and this is a George, or uh, this is a Roger Corman movie. So big thumbs up there, of course. The Blu-ray is great. I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here. While searching for missing teenagers, novice uh, skip tracer um, Maggie. McNone, I guess is how you pronounce her name in the movie, and local town boozer Paul Grogan stumble upon a top-secret army uh, laboratory conducting genetic research on piranha fish for the purpose of developing biological warfare. When the deadly eating machines are accidentally released from the compound, they're soon headed downstream and consuming everything and anything in their path. Just when you thought it was safe to go into the water. Um... Piranha features a stellar group of talent in front as well as behind the camera. The top-notch cast of cult stars include uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Barbara Steele from Black Sunday, uh, Belinda Balaski, she was in The Howling, Dick Miller, you should know Dick Miller. If you like horror movies, Dick Miller's been in a ton of stuff. Um, Piranha is directed, uh, yeah, Joe Dante's second movie, and... um, the film also has a soundtrack by Pino Dinaggio, I think it's... Uh, these names are so freaking hard to pronounce. Dress to Kill, Carrie, and Joe Dante's The Howling. Uh, anyway, uh, after all that freaking rambling, um, I, I thought that the movie was really, really good. And it's not... It, obviously, it's a Jaws ripoff. Uh, low budget, a six, little over $600 million uh, shot in about a month. Uh, Universal Studios attempted to sue New World for spoofing Jaws, um, but Steven Spielberg actually saw this movie in advance and he loved it. And after that, Universal dropped the lawsuit. But this truly is a, a knockoff of Jaws, but a good one. Um, it's it, this is kind of one of those do-it-yourself movies from back in the day. Uh, the score cost ten thousand dollars to come up with. The extras were all paid five dollars a day and given a lunch a, a box lunch. Um, the piranha were done by attaching rubber puppet fish to sticks, but in watching it, um, it feels, it feels bigger than it, than it was. Um, I, I think, and there's some stop motion creatures in here and, uh, Rob Boutine was involved in this and Rob Boutine would, would go on to do, uh, the thing and countless other great, I mean, big movies, um, so there was a there is a lot of backstory on the movie and there's a lot of uh, of uh, history with this, uh, but it's it holds up really good. The film was designed to pump uh, to jump on the huge success of Jaws and Roger Corman was known for producing films that were imitators of more successful movies and that's now kind of what Asylum is doing is they come out with their own versions of bigger budget movies, but. Unfortunately, their movies suck. These movies are just cool, old school cool. Um, uh, it did take further, uh, still took a further three years to raise enough money to make the film, and by that time, Jaws two had already been made. So this literally came out around the time that Jaws two came out. So, um, so yeah, Rick Baker was also involved in the effects of this movie. Uh, there's just been a, there was a lot of talent behind the camera on this movie. Uh, so, uh, and it shows. I mean, it's a, it's held, it stood the test of time. It holds up pretty good for being that old of a movie. And uh, it's just an enjoyable 
little movie. So, uh, and because I hit on Piranha, I've got to hit on Piranha Two: The Spawning, uh, directed by James Cameron, uh, and and also uh, an uncredited Ovidio G. Astonitis, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, Lance Henriksen's in this. Trisha O'Neill. Uh, this movie, I saw. I actually saw this movie before I saw the original Piranha. I saw this back when it was on network television, back when I was way too young to watch this stuff. I actually uh, recorded this. It was on, on late night, and I recorded it on VHS, and I, I would watch it over and over and over and over again. And it's funny because it was heavily edited because this is a pretty strong R-rated movie but even back then I'm like man this thing is gory and sick and women running around in bikinis all over the place well uh, yeah <laughs> then then reality hits when you watch it years and years later in its original version you know the R-rated uncut version although there are multiple versions of this movie from what I hear and it's like okay it's, this is a little bit more Hardcore R-rated than uh, than what I've been seeing. So, um, yeah, it's it's piranha except the fish fly in this one, and great. It's cheesy, super cheesy. Somehow more cheesy than the original. Uh, scuba diving instructor, her biochemist boyfriend, and her police chief ex-husband try to link a series of bizarre deaths to a mutant strain of piranha fish whose lair is a sunken freighter ship off a Caribbean island resort. So there's that. But a lot of backstory on the movie. Credit for directing this film was given to James Cameron, uh, which was, this was kind of his first directing gig. Most of the work was actually performed, though, by Ovidio G. Estonitis, the film's producer and prolific filmmaker. Uh, He was dissatisfied with Cameron's progress after the first week and took over. According to uh, Dreaming Aloud, a biography of James Cameron... Uh, Cameron did do the shooting for this movie, but was not allowed to see his footage and was not involved in editing. He broke into the editing room and cut his own version, but was caught and uh, and the producer recut it again. Amazing. <laughs> uh, in an interview, James Cameron said this movie gets better halfway through when seen at the drive-in with a six-pack of beer. So, waka waka. Uh, one of only two movies that James Cameron of James Cameron's films that were not scored by. Uh, James Horner or Brad Fidel. So um, there's that. Uh, concept of per- flying piranhas was an idea of Warner Brothers. Uh, was not James Cameron's idea, I guess. Uh, during the Rome release of this movie in which James Cameron grew ill and had a dream about a metallic torso dragging itself from an explosion while holding kitchen knives gave, gave Cameron the idea for the Terminator. So that's interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's a sequel to Piranha and does it work? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's cheesy. The special effects for, uh, for this movie were done by, I believe the same guy that, and I don't have, I don't have the, I wish that I would have the name pulled up here. Um, big special effects artist. And he did the special effects for a lot of Italian productions. And obviously this movie was Italian produced with all the, the names that looking at here on uh, IMDb. Um, there it is, Giannato, Giannato De Rossi. He did a lot of the effects on the movie and uh, he's done a bazillion credits, uh, effects type work. 
through the years. Uh, tons of good movies. A lot of Lucha Fulci stuff. House by the Cemetery, The Beyond, Zombie, Cannibal Apocalypse. Uh, even did stuff for Conan the Destroyer, Dune, Rambo 3. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I've talked about him before. Uh, very impressed with his work. I love his style. But, yeah, Piranha 2 is fun. It's uh, easily watchable. It's check your brain at the door and enjoy an Italian-type production with it just feels, everything about it feels low-rent, but somehow it works, and I generally have a smile on my face watching this crazy thing. So check it out. Okay, that's going to do it for my show. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope that you give a couple of these movies a chance. The, the Piranha movies are easy watches. Leviathan is a great movie. Uh, Deep Rising is also really cool, and Deep Star 6 is not so much, but it's still worth a watch for the undiscerning horror fan out there. So, uh, Anyway, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions that you may have or recommendations or movies I should watch or stay away from, or movies that you have seen off of my show that you violently disagree with me on, I'd like to hear from you. And make sure to tune in to Movie Freaks. We are now over on iTunes. And uh, I haven't checked, but I I believe that a lot of our back episodes are are starting to pop up there, so um, more on that soon. And then our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. Uh, We are going to be doing, like I've mentioned before, we're going to be doing a really big mega uh, pod show here uh, at the end of this month, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're all going to be hitting on each. Uh, we're going to be talking on each of our respective shows, so there's going to be uh, all of us on three different shows, and we're really looking forward to it. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that's going to do it for my show today, and um, stay tuned next time. Who knows what I'm going to hit on? Errors of actually a stack of movies that I didn't even get to today, so I might even continue this underwater horror type thing that I'm doing right now. So until next time, thanks for listening.